Hey, what's up, guys? This is Benjamin Light. This is Marco Sparks. And we're just doing a little little bumper here before the main show. Uh, just to give you a heads up about this episode. We are going to be joined by Brian Holdman. This episode is recorded, I think, in late May, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so it's been a little while. That's okay. It's an awesome episode. I think this is one mm-hmm. of the best ones we've done. Um, but yeah, we just want to give you that heads up beforehand. This was recorded a little while ago. Yeah, we're doing a real real podcast thing where we do, you know what it is. The double intro. Ad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ad right before. Sure. Yeah, I just want to give you guys a heads up. We uh, wrote a book. It's called Trouble Always Finds Me. It's a sequel to our first book, My Name is Trouble. It comes out, uh, this episode will be airing on Friday. It'll come out the next Tuesday. So you can pre-order it now. Probably be able to purchase by the time you can listen to this. Uh, so yeah, buy it. Look for that on your Amazon or Apple Books or you know the bookseller of your choice. We're gonna do a fun little contest, I think, where <laughs> if you tweet a photo, of, like take a picture of the book or like of your e-reader or whatever, and tweet it, tweet it to the world and hashtag it with trouble always finds me, uh, and you'll be inter- entered in a little contest where I think we're going to take the the top two. We'll do like a drawing. We'll draw two names. And uh, if you win, you can join us on a podcast, either a PLL commentary podcast or a headcanon. You can even pick the uh, movie or TV show we do for headcanon. So we're bribing you basically to go buy our book. Just Twitter, Benjamin Light, or also Instagram? Uh, Sure, Instagram too. And if they don't have either, are they SOL? I mean, I guess they can just email us and... Vegas, yeah. Broswatchpl2 at gmail.com. So question, if they have a Twitter and an Instagram, does that count as a double entry? Hmm. I I guess we should allow it because we're trying to <laughs> trick people into tweeting about our books. So I, I think you get two <laughs> entries for that. Yeah. You can increase your chances. Be just as shameless as we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So really think about how much you would potentially want to interact with us because these commentary episodes are like, an hour at most. The headcanon. You're, you know, you're like go. trying to get people to do headcanon, huh? I mean, hmm. we talked about it first on headcanon. Interesting. I'm just saying that's like four hours. So, hmm. you know, you've got to really decide how, how, what's the threshold by which you get sick of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think you guys will get sick of this episode. Honestly, this was my favorite one that we did. Nothing against the other ones, but this one's a lot of fun. Also be on the, uh, if you're, if you're actually playing along at home and, and watching the episode and listening to the commentary, have that remote ready. We pause it a couple times in this one just because we can. Because uh, we, we just have to stop and talk about some cool stuff and, and look yeah. at some pictures that you can't see over a podcast. So it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian Holman's great. So we'll let's join the episode in progress. Like it's just completely seamless. And go. Do-do-do, do-do-do. Hi, I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And welcome to Bros Watch PLL 2. We are back for just a little special episode celebrating the 10th anniversary of PLL. We're joined by a very special guest today. It is Brian Holdman. How are you doing, Brian? I am doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about Let the Water Hold Me Down, which has always been burned in my memory as just like one of those many solid fun early episodes of PLL 
Like there's so many like things I just remember randomly from that episode. It's a key episode. This, there's a, yeah. the detail in this episode is going to be very important in the season two finale. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> lay in groundwork, lay in groundwork. <laughs> so this is episode 216, first aired in January 16, 2012. My God. Yeah. Written, written by Brian M. Holden, Holdman, directed by Chris Grismer. Um, so I guess my first question is, this is kind of vague, I'm sorry, but what did you march into the writing process with this episode knowing you wanted to do and what surprised you coming out of it? Oh, wow. Well, so this was very early in, uh, in my career overall and also very early in my experience on Pretty Little Liars season two. Um, and we definitely were um, in a kind of a stride as far as the room. Um, but I was still learning a lot. So this episode for me kind of represents the moment that a lot of light bulbs went on about the producing side of, uh, being a television writer producer. Mm. Um, at this point in the, in the storytelling and in the show and in, in my own experience in the writer's room, like I still hadn't even reached producer level. So I was still very much learning and I came into the room um, the, very much in the place of I've just got to pick up the ball that's left for me by Oliver Goldsticks. And looking back at the, and looking back, I can't find all of the documentation in my emails, uh, but there are certain clues in the, um, in the episode itself uh, that lead me to believe that this may have been one of our earliest um, uh, cross-boarded episodes mm -hmm. uh, because I'm looking at and remembering uh, that I, we only have one day out on this episode. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a signal that we probably cross-boarded with, uh, with the previous episode. Um, and if not cross-boarded, then what was, was happening was my episode was restricted to one day out as a money-saving measure. That's the other... Um, thing that pops up for me as I look back, which um, had a strong effect on the storytelling. And as we kind of get into the episode, there, there may be some moments where I'll point out where the story changed a lot because of production concerns. And I was just learning all that for the first time. And crosswording means you're shooting two episodes at once, right? That is correct. Mm -hmm. Crossboarding is two episodes at once. And so we, we, we take special care in the writer's room to break those stories in a way that thankfully with Pretty Little Liars, we had four girls. Uh, so we could split the girls down the middle, write one episode heavy for two of the characters, write the other episode heavy for the other two characters so that, uh, so that everyone would be able to go back and forth between mm -hmm. episodes that are shooting simultaneously. It, it's it's a, a long, hectic week. <laughs> for sure. And um, sometimes the actors lose place of where they are in the order of things. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it helped us a lot from a financial standpoint. And it was definitely um, a, a, a sort of a logistical puzzle in terms of storytelling and production that mm -hmm. um, really flexes your muscle. <laughs> and you guys have to do all that right at, back in the writer's room, you know, when you're first it, outlining the episodes. Yeah, as soon as we knew which ones were going to be cross-boarded, um, or even if we would just do one double-up day of overlap, we would then 
uh, begin crafting our stories around that hurdle to facilitate production's ability to schedule. And if we hadn't, if we didn't, if we didn't bake it into the episode in the breaking and the writing of the story, production wouldn't be able to schedule that mm-hmm. episode and shoot it in the in the uh, in the seven days mm-hmm. that it, that were allotted. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so yeah, this was this was early. This was a learning for me. I think um, one on a personal level, <laughs> and I'm almost reticent to share this with you, but it is it's a <laughs> it's a it's a part of the episode. Uh, on a personal level, what I brought to the episode was um, I just as I was beginning to break this episode, uh, I broke up with my fiance. Mm. Oh no! Rough. And um, you, I found. Uh, going back years later to look at it, I had forgotten that this was when it happened uh, until I went back to rewatch the episode a few days ago myself. And I started looking through my emails for, uh, you know, production related materials and uh, the Mona scene with Spencer towards the end really jumps out at me as something that I absolutely carried Mm. into, um, into the storytelling and, uh, some version of kind of what I was going through actually makes its way into the urgency and the energy of that monologue that Mona shares later in the episode that we'll we'll get to when we're watching. So fascinating. that's fascinating. So, yeah, I mean that's one of my favorite scenes in the episode. So here I am, like this is a really great fun episode, and you're like, this is one of the worst moments of my life. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it was it was it's funny because my uh, my ex. Uh, the worst part of the breakup was absolutely during uh, the period that I was writing the draft and then heading into production. Mm. Uh, and so uh, he was exhibiting some very A-like behavior <laughs> <laughs> during that period. So it was also kind of, I was a little bit living the sort of, you know, things that go bump in the night and strange figures outside the window and on my front porch. <laughs> and it was, you know, him sort of, deciding at three o'clock in the morning to box up everything I'd ever given him and throw mm. it at my front door. Mm. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> so I was living, I was definitely living a pretty little liars experience wow. uh, oh throughout the writing of this episode. <laughs> how much, uh, how much lead time is there between you submitted your drafts and they start filming? Mm. At this point, looking back on the schedule, I believe that we, Let's see. I might even have this pulled up here in the background. I believe that I started breaking the episode somewhere early in July. Mm. And I think that I turned in one of my first um, pieces of material, which was the synopsis. I turned that in on August 2nd. Mm -hmm. And we started shooting, um, I believe about three weeks later. So the turnaround time on this, we were, because we were in the back half of the season, Mm -hmm. um, we were a little jammed up uh, in terms of production and a little bit closer to, uh, from, from, from script process to shooting, Mm -hmm. even though this aired a full six months later because it was in the back half of the season. Yeah. Uh, But, but the way that our, our year laid out, the uh, the way that our production year laid out. Anytime we were in that second half of the season, just the 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 sort of two moving trains that were almost caught up with each other and were kind of running neck and neck. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I I think I may have had 
uh, just a couple of weeks to go from synopsis to outline to script to production. Excuse me, to production. Okay. I mean, synopsis and everything, I mean, there's so many eyeballs that have to give you notes. There's producers, other writers, the network. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And, um, and this in particular was a story that changed um, in s- some elements of the story changed quite a bit mm. from synopsis to uh, the shooting script that became the episode that you all see. Um, in particular, the Lucas uh, Hannah storyline um, mm. and the reveal that happens in Hannah's bedroom uh, towards the end of the episode um, was originally, <laughs> it went through a couple permutations. <laughs> okay. Um, and should, we, should we talk about that after? I'm kind of curious. I wonder if we can rewatch it and get, no, we probably can't guess, but I was wondering. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know if you'll guess because the end result, I mean, it, it got contentious. Let's say that okay. um, in that the room was, first of all, the room was divided. And then also our friends at the studio and the network um, had had some big thoughts about where, where this story should end up. And therefore, the way we talked about it in developing the episode changed as we were going from synopsis to outline to script and then changed it again okay. before we finally got it on, 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 on screen. In a matter of weeks. In a matter of weeks. I think the lead-up discussion was um, season-long, uh, and we just we couldn't, we, in the original sort of uh, permutation of where we thought we might try and take Lucas as a character. And there had been a lot of discussion. And then when it came time to do this episode we reached a point at which we realized uh, we weren't in agreement. We weren't all on the same page. And so we tried a, a different take <laughs> and then had to come up with another take because the studio and the network didn't even like our alternate, our alternate mm. <laughs> for, for Lucas. So it was, it was, it was really about kind of ultimately um, protecting the Lucas that we had begun with and keeping him consistent. Is it a pretty and pink thing? Is he a ducky? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's always kind of played as like cutesy backup boyfriend, at least at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely played it as cutesy backup boyfriend. And, and then we had some other ideas. I can okay. see how you would, uh, <laughs> up to this point, you're kind of open to possibilities. Like, you get him in the water and it's like, okay, well now you got to really decide what are you mm-hmm. doing with this character from here? You know, exactly. cause he's also the phantom massager, right? Yes. He is the phantom massager. Yeah. <laughs> and we were building suspicion about him being part of what was, uh, I think this was sort of the beginning of the a team, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, where there were kind of multiple people in play and those people were often suspected of doing the busy work for a, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is big Jenna and Garrett times. Um, <laughs> uh, Melissa Hastings was still in the mix. Um, I believe that we had uh, no, no con was oh, yeah. not above reproach. <laughs> Did any of that ever happen kind of retroactively where you're like, wait a minute, shoot, how can Mona be doing this if she's there? 
you know, we'll just say this person did it. <laughs> we we, tr- we tried our very best to be intentional mm. um, about placing people suspiciously and sometimes placing Mona specifically somewhere else mm-hmm. uh, to keep it, to keep the question open-ended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tried as much as we could to be intentional. But, but that was something, you know, obviously from the books through season one, from the pilot on, you were all like, Mona's A, but let's say she's got some helpers. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you've got to, um, once the book is up on its legs and once you, once you don't kill Toby, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, <laughs> who dies at the end of book two, um, all bets are off the table. But you've also got to keep the mystery uh, turning on itself over and over and over and um, opening up the world in season two. Um, and inviting in even more suspicious characters was, you know, that was the way to keep the mystery continually feeling fresh and challenging. Mm. So speaking of fresh and challenging, this is kind of also, we've got Holden, who I was shocked showed up later, many years later. This is also the start of what will become Nate St. Germain slash Lyndon James. Yes. What was the thinking, even at this point? Uh, at this point, we knew that we wanted to, because that was um, that was uh, a kernel of a book storyline mm. that we wanted to bring into the series world, and this was about the neighborhood mm-hmm. of time that we thought we might be able to knock out um, a little bit of foundation work. Uh, because we had the opportunity to have Maya in the episode, um, and because we were also beginning in multiple relationships to raise the specter of, because this is well before any of the bed buddies knew about A. So the girls were still lying to their significant others about some of the pressures that they were under. Mm -hmm. And um, this seemed like a good time to... Uh, uh, turn up the heat in the ways in which that was starting to interfere with their relationships. And you see that really clearly in the Hannah and Emily storyline that they even have a huge moment around, you know, can you be the, can you, can you tell them or, or can you not? And how the secrets were already beginning to sort of seep into both of their relationships and, you know, kind of cause problems. Gotcha. Uh, My last question for, where we start is yeah. there's a great double meaning of the title, but also were you just going into this thinking talking heads? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, um, teens love I, talking heads. Uh, no, I wasn't thinking teens love talking heads. Although I personally have a bit of a, um, a stop making sense, um, is a significant kind of, uh, 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 talking heads album for me for a certain period of my life. Um, sure. But I was also just, I had gotten into the habit of um, of song titles, mm-hmm. um, uh, Never Letting Go, which was my previous episode this year, mm-hmm. uh, this, excuse me, the same season, uh, it was a Phoebe Snow song that I loved growing up as a kid. And because this was a water-themed episode, um, I thought it might be a nice title. Mm-hmm. Um, however some of the plans for water in this episode definitely went awry. <laughs> thanks to, um, again, thanks to those concerns of production. And um, so the original beginning that, that we envisioned 
for this episode, the, the original cold open that is now uh, taking place in Spencer's great room mm-hmm. uh, was originally supposed to be lakeside. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and there was a little bit more complexity going on with the storytelling. We wanted to have Caleb speaking with the police and, you know, Hannah sort of trying to recover and dry off and worrying about what he's saying and if he's going to say something that might screw them all. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, um, production constraints meant that we could not go out to the lake again during during my episode. Okay. Um, because then, the lake was a gift to begin with. And then it becomes, what if A just put some pond scum in their water bottle? And it's like, yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we went from from the side of the lake to a car parked out in the woods outside, like outside the cabin. To how about just like in front of the fireplace at Spencer's, <laughs> which makes it creepier. Because how the hell does the does the the lake water get in? I mean, how do you not notice it from that journey? I don't know. It A's magic. Yeah, there's a there's a line in there, and that was a, a network note to the same uh, to, to to that same thing where um, I think it's Emily is like I don't know her purse was in the car for a while, <laughs> and I think we see it might be Aria at the very top. It, it's either Aria or Emily Emily entering with the purse from mm-hmm. outside as mm-hmm. though she's maybe gone out to get Hannah's purse because Hannah has said you know. I need lip gloss. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> but we had to add that line to kind of explain that at some point her purse was unattended that night. Okay. And here you go. Your vodka looks just really funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and start watching the episode? We're all queued up right before the all previously right. is here. So we'll give a little countdown to zero and then we'll play. So let's go ahead with three, two, one, and play. All right. So we're looking at Ella in the classroom. Yes, with a with a very worried Emily who is volunteering at that hotline that we had to lay in for for this episode to kind of. (laughs) And then she never went back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Never again. We got a bunch of new volunteers, and then they all disappeared two days later. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rosewood's a small town. They ran out of crises. <laughs> <laughs> we were just watching the the Buffy with Bianca Lawson, you know, like twenty oh, years yeah. earlier, and she looks even younger here. And it's 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 insane that she's been she played a teenager for so long. I'm so yeah. glad that she's now uh, playing someone in her twenties on. <laughs> Queen Sugar as Darla. <laughs> so this is um, in the previously on, this is the big moment where Lucas goes into the lake. And this lake was a gift to us from True Blood. Oh. Right, yeah. Um, at this period of time, we were shooting with them, uh, shooting on the same lot as them. And as often happened, we couldn't uh, afford to fill this lake up on our own. But our um, executive, uh, our, our line producer had a friend who sort of let us know, hey, they filled it up and heated it and they're going to have to leave it. They can leave it for us for an extra day. And so we took advantage of that in the storytelling because we knew that far in advance that true blood was going to be heating the water for us. So we could write a story where the actors went into the water and it was warm. That's cool. Spencer, I told you not to do that thing. I told you not to do. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, this was where we were going to be lakeside and then, in a car near the lake and, <laughs> and it's now it's just it's just on a settee 
but full of suspense. A suspenseful city. It does feel like a very familiar place to start an episode, though. It's late at night. They're at somebody's house. Parents are nowhere to be seen. Exactly. (laughs) They've all gone to bed. Also, these girls look great in the dark, lit by by flame. Yes, and and this was a real specific choice of Chris Grismer's, um, and and one of the you know sort of lovely things about his filmmaking um, on this episode, um, the way that he chose to to shoot through the fire mm. and kind of always have the heat is on as a little visual thematic kind of thing going on here, um, and. He does a nice job of sort of um, some jittery movie camera work through, through this, this tense scene as well as we come in and as we go out of it, which is just just really nice choices on his part. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, although he was only in our world very early on, <laughs> um, oh, that lake water. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, like 10 years later, maybe people would buy this and yeah. actually drink this. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually not organic. That- it's not that gross. It's mostly naked juice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, their their green machine that um I think this was Chris Bales early in his tenure and he just sort of whipped up a not so gross gross looking drink. Okay, cool. I I love that this is the the magical nature. Like she's just pulled out the bottle. She's just gotten the text. <laughs> and got a secret, can you keep it? It's like Spencer, tear all your walls apart. There are clearly hidden cameras. <laughs> A is just a force of nature, you know. You just they they learn mm-hmm. to live with it. A is everywhere. Oh, Hannah's kitchen. Oh, this is when yes. uh, Emily's living with them, right? Yes, and um, and we 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 had the opportunity to expand our sets a little bit, and decided. Um, that the Marin house, which previously was just a kitchen that we might have a little bit more real estate and give Hannah her bedroom Mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, and so we did that, um, by using this storyline that Emily's parents were, I think both in Texas at this time, Pam had Mm -hmm. started missing Wayne and, and was kind of living more full time in Texas. And so Emily's shacking up. And we got that wonderful Hannah bedroom with the feathered wallpaper by Rachel Cameron. Mm-hmm. And she had very cool, like, closets, if I remember correctly. Yeah, she did kind of have a, a neat closet situation going on. The furniture in that room was pretty neat. Yeah. I, 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 did, I did like that room a lot in, in, uh, out of all the rooms to shoot. And it was probably one of the easier rooms to shoot. You know, Aria is being the most complex because of those uh, peaked roof lines of the sort of craftsman style house mm-hmm. um, that made that room very difficult to shoot in yeah. because of the way that we would have to lift ceiling pieces mm. um, to get in. And Hannah's room was much more camera friendly to shoot in. Or in her yellow wallpaper mm-hmm. and all the, now we're looking at all the burner phones. Yes. The receipt for the burner phones and, um, and some of the other things that were found in the attic of Spencer's lake house in the previous episode. Um, and this is also, uh, you may notice the fingernails, the multicolored fingernails. I and this was that. very, this was very early in that trend. This is, I think, <laughs> where we started that trend it's in like 2011. Leopard, I think with those leopard print there on a uh, Hannah or Aria, whichever one that was holding it there. Yes. I, I, I believe that they're, they're Aria's to match her leopard print beret. Mandy line, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Aria's wearing like this fur vest with the, the block around her neck 
Yeah. Oh God, I remember how much I love just being obsessed with their fashion. <laughs> and this, as as I was uh, as I was saying in the in the sort of pre call, um, this was when we were still trying to keep track of time, mm-hmm. and um, so we were playing a kind of autumnal look for the girls. And and early in early seasons of Pretty Little Liars, for some reason, that was this just this real important thing mm-hmm. that we'd have to answer for and then reflect in all sorts of, you know, set design and costume design. And, and it was a hassle. It's kind of yeah. always Halloween on PLL that, that time of year. Yeah. yeah. Like right we, before, right after. Yeah. We like to call it June timber. <laughs> yeah. And here's Holden. Holden, who actually in real life is um, a childhood friend of Tor- Trian Belisarios. They uh, went to school together all through from elementary through high school. And um, I think she, I, I believe she brought him to us for this role um, and sort of put him on our radar. I was not choosing my guest cast at this point, but Oliver mm. and Marlene were open to um, Troy and bringing uh, friends in because typically, you know, she, she'd bring us some really great actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, Did you like a short film well. later? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the way she plays off him, she has some really funny expressions kind of just reacting to this situation here like she's doing now. <laughs> yes. And this actually was um, originally the scene was conceived as just Aria and Holden and Oliver Goldstick. Um, when I turned in an early draft, he was like, you know what? We, we should throw Troy in, in this scene just yeah. a to let them play mm-hmm. um, and B to sort of heighten Aria's discomfort that Spencer seems to be like a little bit, you know, pro when 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 Ari is trying to keep her heart open for <laughs> right. good old Ezra. Well but also I mean it's it it shows that they're friends, but also Spencer has chemistry of everyone. And she's obsessed yeah. with Arya's love life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> she's like, ooh, you got a beard. Nice. You know <laughs> <laughs> he likes you. <laughs> oh Great outfit by Mona oh. there. Yes. Mona was just, a- I was just reading part of the Jacob Clifton recap, and he describes their outfits as being straight out of a Pat Benatar video. <laughs> you know, between Hannah's oddly chunky necklace and Mona's sort of hippie square dance, <laughs> <laughs> who <Yeah>. knows what? <laughs> yeah. Um, their outfits are a, a lot. Um, I love that they're and- taking the photo down of her <laughs> <laughs> and this is that i i have a picture of that which i don't need to pull up because mm-hmm. it's just a picture of hannah that we've seen uh but it is i think that's one of the first things that i posted to twitter um in connection to the show this is i had just joined twitter at the time and mm-hmm. this is probably one of my earliest tweets was a tweet of that <laughs> picture <laughs> imagine being the student that this is your one interaction with hannah Marin in your high school life <laughs> You're the guy sticking it to her about the photo and the jumpsuits. <laughs> hey, student council is a dirty business, man. You got to do all kinds of dirty work. Yeah. <laughs> it's all these little subtle hints of Mona chafing at not being included as much as she would like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And 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 we 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 took Mona on several loops around the girls. She's in, she's out, she's in, she's out. You know, it was an important part of the journey and the dynamic um, can and should Mona be trusted mm-hmm. given what we know about her past. 
you know, given that we know she was that A. <laughs> and well, and how much do you want her close to them before you start to suspect her? Yeah. 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 And this was a fun episode because the onus at this time was to humanize and um, connect her to the girls. And so you, I got the opportunity to write Mona in a new way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a sympathetic Mona, a Mona, uh, a Mona who connects. Uh, and that was a really fun part of this episode. I've never noticed this couple before who were just having an intense conversation right behind Emily. Yeah, high school goes on. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> high school goes on. Even when you're not being stalked, there's drama. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is Maya St. Germain doing her best disguised voice here <laughs> emily really got fooled on that one she's like wow is this real i <laughs> a crisis to call on my own phone <laughs> yeah how'd you get this number <laughs> this is this is 2011 or 2012 so it's like now this would all be text <laughs> yeah this would completely all be text and i can't forget if this is before or after we did the the, the kick the kick phone Oh yeah, that was season one. I remember that. That yeah, was that season Microsoft one that we had done kick. that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that integration, and then they like pulled the line and was like, "It's defective. It blows up in your hand." Yeah, you're like, "Let us write that." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, a blew my phone up. My face is scarred. <laughs> um, yeah, this was I, this was my sort of reintroduction after uh, after weed camp and and. Um, Again, this was a, you know, a storyline from the books that we wanted to, in some way, translate to the series. You know, sometimes, sometimes a story from the book was a jumping off point and mm-hmm. really changed. Mm-hmm. I feel like this one existed in some ways um, as kind of still connected to its original form. And now, okay, this is a great, um, this is a great Joe Doherty moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was, I conceived of the idea of getting her in the bathroom with the overflowing sink and the, you know, the water on the floor. And Joe came in one morning, he had had a thought and he pitched the rowboat (laughs) as sort of the A note in this moment that just sort of ultimately creates this actually really haunting, uh, image, you know, of this childlike toy that brings up such fear and menace in Hannah's heart. And so I'm, I'm grateful for his little, he just, it was such a beautiful flourish as he walked in one morning. And I think it really made that, that moment. Cause we had previously seen Lucas in the flashback where the teens are all hanging out. And he just wants to sail his rowboat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it becomes this lovely little recall, you know, but that's, I mean, Joe was great for stuff like that. He just, just little nuances that took it all the way there, you know, <laughs> There's something fascinating about the fact that these two just switch places at this table, and it's like suddenly one of them get, get reception on their phone. <laughs> now this is this this is an Oliver Goldstick scene. Okay, <laughs> oh, is it? okay. this was definitely one that uh, that at this at this point uh, as a young writer, um, definitely getting rewritten a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And um, this was a scene that Oliver took a pass at, a pass at, and he kind of infused it with just that that banter. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of like classic comedy banter that they have, that they switch places and Arya still just has the magic reception touch. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that's, that's pure Oliver. And, um, you know, I gotta, I gotta thank him because he makes, he makes the scene sing and it's a, it's a great little moment in the episode. 
the actors are always kind of doing things with props in a lot of these scenes, which I don't know, just gives it a more kind of like authentic feel, I guess, you know, like they're, they're not just sitting delivering their lines or doing something at the same time. Mm-hmm. True. I think as you, if you really pay attention as the season goes, as the seasons progress, you actually see that less and less. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were uh, less open to the, the business that we would create for them to help these scenes feel kind of real. Um, and uh, purses became a big thing. You know, nobody wanted to carry a purse anymore. I imagine just, it's probably take longer to shoot if you have to be hitting those marks along with everything else. Well, yeah. And it's, it becomes a, it becomes a um, continuity issue, which shoulder did I have the purse on? But right. again, there's a certain life to the scenes when actors do business in the scene it allows them to to create moments you know uh, of conflict I'm, I'm trying to avoid conflict so i'm going to pay attention to my homework and chew this pencil or you know i'm trying to get your attention away from your homework to to look in me in the eyes and go look for lucas mm-hmm. um there's texture that comes with business when you give an actor business and honestly some actors just as a rule, some actors are better mm-hmm. with business than others. There are some you can give them business and they will always put the pen down exactly in the same way on the same line with the same emphasis. And others, it's something, it's like, it's like throwing tennis balls at them while they're trying to act. And they just, it trips <laughs> them right up. <laughs> so what, how do you feel about the, uh, the Lucas and Caleb bromance? Well, I got to tell you, I was, I was excited about, um, that bromance developing Uh (laughs) and if i'm not mistaken i actually got to write the episode where we saw the bunk beds okay in lucas's bedroom that that were you know so often referred to in comedy i actually got to write the episode where we went into lucas's bedroom oh cool um so i'm i'm glad i got to in some way play early bromance um and uh yeah I am. I, I, I enjoyed that. And it's, it's a bromance that I liked. I liked okay. the two of them together. Um, this scene, I just wanted to point out, this is exactly the uh, 108 degree weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and this might be actually a moment to pause just to show a couple funny behind the scenes photos, photos sure. if you want to pause right, the yeah, episode real quick. Okay. Uh, let me see if I can do this right. <laughs> and bring up um, just a couple of really fun behind the scenes episodes here of let's see we've got this one first of lucy hale yes just trying to stay cool in front of a fan <laughs> peeling off that fur um that fur vest and to that cool down. The big hat that she's yes. got on yeah she, <laughs> that, she took the hat off right, her hair is kind of right wild. and angora angora wool um she's got this great expression on her face it's like it's absolutely uh unguarded moment of just like good god i need some cold air blowing on my face <laughs> yes absolutely and here we've got uh here we've got trying kind of <laughs> wilting in the heat at video village because it was i mean it was ungodly ungodly hot that day 104 degrees in the valley and uh, it was a day into night shoot so we started um we started late in the mm-hmm. afternoon so we really started in the heat of the day and went deep into the night uh, where we shot the scenes outside the theater, right around the corner on the back lot from where we shot these. So, uh, so Philadelphia, that's uh, I saw the, the columns in the background of the town hall there. We're, we're right around that area. For the, yes. The Philadelphia and you, Street. 
you might recognize these columns as um, you might last episode columns as they. Well, let's see. We used the exterior of the um, art museum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we used that for. But also, we actually used this same exterior in in uh, several seasons later. Yeah, when Spencer went to London. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. When Spencer went to London and she was, uh, it, it was where she was interviewing at Oxford and got and, and there was blood in her purse. And yeah. Then she came out. Um, she came out of the building, and this was the exterior that we used for that as well. We reused these buildings a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. I think you were saying, James, like after Arya's like wedding rehearsal, or she has like a wedding or dinner have there a or something. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One and, of the wine moms is like drunk, and they're like carrying her down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, facing this, facing the, I don't know if you guys remember, it's in the series finale. There is a moment um, where Arya and Ezra are on a Hollywood lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, there's a a, a car of a, like a, a tour cart. And it's the moment that the writer staff yeah, has their right, cameo. Drive by, yeah. It's in that exact same uh, intersection. The building with the columns is right behind <laughs> where we're shooting, and we're facing in the direction of where the newsstand is <laughs> that the uh, that the girls are at in this episode. All right, yes. we ready to count down to a start? All right, yeah, yeah. Let's go three, two, one, and play again. Okay. I was impressed with the uh, the amount of storytelling mileage you get out of like a single clue. It's like we've got a receipt. We're going to be good for an episode, and this will get us somewhere by the end of the episode. Yeah. That's partially Spencer. Spencer's like the uh, the gasoline thrown on that engine. <laughs> well, and it, it's that that sometimes was the hardest part of the breaking of the story was how do we lift what we're what what is left from the previous episode and carry it down the field a little bit further in a way that it in some way twists on itself. And um, this was a um, this was a moment that. Um, I came to the room with that stuck was the idea that the story takes a twist when Spencer notices a blind person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads her to the next part of the clue. Um, the, uh, you know, how do you take a, what feels like a dead end and then kick it a little further in a surprising way that, mm-hmm. you know, good old Spencer and her spidey sense kind of picks up on, Hey, there's a lot of people around here with canes and <laughs> seeing eye dogs. What's yeah. that all about? Immediately, it leads to Jenna. It feels like a good, like, 70s paranoia movie kind of thing for her to then notice when she's at a dead end, the loyal soldiers of, like, Jenna things, Queendom mm-hmm. of the Blind. So now we're at, um, Maya has touched upon the ultimate aphrodisiac, which is suicidal teenagers, <laughs> as she yeah. visits Emily. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so hot to see you saving lives. <laughs> oh, and this is when she starts getting, uh, like, texts mysterious texts that uh, she hasn't yeah. mentioned at all but something's wrong and and of course emily immediately goes to yeah. is a up in my business <laughs> which controversial i feel like that's not a relationship that would have lasted i don't think so I mean, and i, I think she's yeah. good for the time but as many first relationships are when you're just out of the closet um and so here we are now we're outside radley um and I wanted to let's, if you don't mind, let's pause again sure. and just do a close up on the Radley sign, because um, I just I love having this 
little piece of um, set detail mm-hmm. to be able to show, you know, um, up close and personal here. So let's pull that up. There we go. Um, and so that is the, the Christian August Rehabilitation Center for the Blind. And you'll notice the, uh, the Braille information um, repeated down at the bottom there, established 1871. And this, uh, the name of this uh, blind school is also a little bit of a shout out to um, Sarah Shepard, the author of the, um, the Pretty Little Liars books. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian August is the name of a family member of hers. Mm, nice. So anyway, I just now they, yeah, they made a whole new plaque for the Radley, right? Yes. Yes. He, we did use the, this exact same set for the Radley exterior in later seasons. And um, uh, both mental institution and hotel. <laughs> 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 and if I'm not mistaken, once we get into the blind school, uh, there are portions of, of the, the, blind school lobby that were repurposed as i believe the radley day room okay yeah i can i can visualize that yeah so i think that those some of those sets and uh uh some of the flooring material uh some of the sconces came back as interior radley later on it's crazy that i don't know why i never put this connection before together before but like honestly the radley hotel is like a Stefan from SNL pitch, you know. <laughs> the hottest new hotel is this mental asylum. But also another kernel from the from the book series that we brought over into the television world. Okay. Um, because I believe their mental institution was called the Preserve. Whoa. Um, it had like sort of a more Tony like spa name in the books. Okay. But then it also became a luxury hotel and there was a great... Um, uh, set piece in the books that takes place at the hotel opening party that um, that we that I think got us I think it got them to to oh gosh I forget who they got it to who it got them to in the books but it was um yeah the preserve uh, just seems like a very dystopian name for a mental well, the, asylum the yeah. preserve like <laughs> like like I'm just going here to preserve my sanity and get a seaweed wrap. Yeah, <laughs> like a destination and like a dystopian post-apocalyptic like, thing. Hundred percent, or like a Victorian novel. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Okay, let's see. I'm over here. All right, so we'll go there. Ahead. We go. All right, and three, two, down. one, play. So All right. From the, I'm from the dog panning over, and there's Spencer, and I just noticed the painting behind her is kind of wild. Yes, of a joyful blind young man. And this, um, this is actually another moment for um, background story. This actress playing the receptionist here mm-hmm. is uh, a friend of mine from college. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Uh, I didn't know that she was auditioning. She didn't give me a heads up. Uh, so I, I saw her reel uh, as she was submitted with other people. And um, she was like, you know, head and shoulders above the rest. So we absolutely cast her. Uh, also, the character's name is my sister's name. Uh, my sister came to visit me during this episode. Uh, cool. It was the first time I was ever able to have my sister visit me on set. And I thought it would be a real hoot to name a character after her and how fun that then also a friend of mine got to play that character. So it's a fun little moment for me. Nice. Oh, and blind school Sam, as we fondly <laughs> referred to him in the room, we loved this actor 
Alexander uh, Nifong. Yes, we really loved him and really wanted to find a way to bring Sam back uh, and talked about him incessantly throughout <laughs> the second season into the third season. Wow. Sam was Sam was heavy on our minds, but we never found a way to to get back to him, unfortunately, in our storytelling. Uh, so here's our sort of moment where the girls are grappling with, you know, we can't tell our boyfriends what's, or girlfriends in Emily's case, what is, you know, causing so much drama in our lives. Um, there is all sort of the, the possibility with all the characters, aside from the main ones, that A could be making them do something unbeknownst yeah. to everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you'd have to be faced with trying to explain that behavior to someone mm-hmm. uh, when you can't tell the secret because A, at this point, was still very um, much insisting on your quiet complicity. Mm-hmm. Your you isolation. Yeah. 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 This is also it's Emily's not tactic. in a tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> Emily's not in a tracksuit. Um, there for sure was a mandate this season to um, take her out of that. Um, and give her just just give her a little something more, you know. Mm-hmm. So costumes definitely answered that call. I mean, I, I think in the podcast at this point, we had noticed that like you guys are great at these comedic details to make these like one-off characters seem so real and memorable and funny and sharp. And then this I feel like just kind of blows the doors off because he's not like funny. But he's a real person yeah. in this world who just happens to also be an acolyte of the gender thing. <laughs> yes. And actually, and he gave us uh, such an interesting alternative world version of mm-hmm. Jenna. Mm-hmm. You know, the girls are so used to talking about her in terms of either their own guilt or her, you know, sort of evil mastermind status. Mm-hmm. And he's someone who sees her as a friend and a savior and a motivator. Yeah. And um, it was fun to write a scene that sort of, how do you write Jenna in a new light in a way that it feels like he can hold this image of her and it can feel just as true as the girls feel like she is evil incarnate behind Prada sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun to, to do the research on this scene to, um, just give him texture and detail. Um, I think the influence of Oliver Goldstick and um, Joe Doherty, uh, this was a place where, as a writer, I grew from their influence in terms of watching the ways in which they imbued these secondary one-off day player characters with real meat and heft so that um, they felt alive in our world. And I think this is a place where I kind of started to, get the lessons that they were, you know, teaching and mm-hmm. put it to use. I think I, I, this is in my career and in my writing life, this is where I started to get how to do that. Okay. And the, just the affect of the actor Alexander here, it's, it's so different from a character we normally get on the show. It kind of forces Spencer to adjust herself. And so we were kind of getting a new side of her too. I mean, yeah, to, I, to, I say the part of the pun, but like to literally see, in a different way. She has yes. to now. Yeah. Yeah. She absolutely has to. And this, I, she had a lot of fun working with this actor, uh, which I think you can see on the screen. He put so much detail into portraying a blind person and um, 
he gave her, he just, he gave her a lot to react to and to play off of in the scene. And, and you can tell she's really, she's enjoying having that, um, having, having this partner in, yeah. in, in, in the craft, you know? Well, and I think if the legend of Spencer Hastings is a chair that has like 50 legs, one of those legs is him saying, your pulse is kind of racing. <laughs> well, and there's um, there's kind of a, a switch that happens in the scene because it's like, this guy seems really nice. And she's doing something slightly underhanded here by representing herself the way she is. And so absolutely. Yeah. She's lying to him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is kind of fun that for a moment, he kind of catches her. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and... I love her power move. You didn't sign in. Here's the pen. I'm just going to walk away. <laughs> just going to walk away. Now, an- initially, it was just a walk away. And then we had to add in ADR in post someone calling her away because studio and the network couldn't sort of wrap their hands around like, why is she walking away from Spencer? <laughs> You've just reminded me of a question I want to ask at the end that I've been meaning to ask one of you people in the know forever okay. about the ADR. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right we can get into it i also i love i have to say I, I love the not just the color palette of these early seasons but the way that the scenes just glow like it makes sense that the scenes are darker later on the show but like the, these girls are just glowing yeah i'm trying to think back and i believe this is um this is is still dana gonzalez era I think so. Um, so he's lighting them, and and he and Larry Reedman, who joined us later in later seasons, um, had there are some differences in the way that they lit the show for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but Dana did have a uh, a great um, love of lighting these girls because I believe Dana worked from the pilot on, so he was mm-hmm. invested, mm-hmm. Um, and he had a real vision for the show. Uh, I learned some lessons. <laughs> about set etiquette from my time working with Dana Gonzalez. <laughs> Interesting. And, um, you know, how to be a producer on set and how to constructively engage in conversations with other people about their craft. And I learned that at, um, at the feet of Dana by uh, inadvertently really offending him <laughs> a couple of times and having to figure out for myself how to recover and keep that relationship copacetic and respect the work that he was putting into lighting the show, which was, he was putting a lot of work and effort in. Were you on the set for a lot of the shooting? I was at this point, um, uh, because, um, I was learning and because they wanted to, um, on that show mentor us in all aspects of production so that, uh, things could be, um, what's the word delegated. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so at this period, I, I was allowed a lot of time and I was on set the entire episode. The, the whole seven days, I, was, I lived on set with Chris Grismer um, and got to watch him go to work. Okay, we're um, approaching one of the masterpieces. Oh, and, and an episode <laughs> full of masterpiece scenes. <laughs> yes. The look, Esther gives her. The look. The look. And that, now this moment um, that we're approaching, the look is... Uh, is is all Marlene King. Okay. And this was um, one of the scenes where what you're seeing conveyed on screen is sort of the strength of her visual storytelling that comes across in uh, what's part of the pre-production process called the tone meeting, um, where we sort of do a, a final cross-check with the director on the tone 
of every single scene. And so the way that this plays out, the tone with which it plays out, uh, comes from the way that Marlene in that tone meeting, it, like underlined, this is the moment that needs to be that moment, Chris Grismer. So, you know, I need you to give me the, the beautiful warm light of the marquee. I need you to give me slow, slow push-ins. I need you to give me slow motion walk. Like, and he found the way to translate that vision to this little beautiful gem of a moment that is, you know, for the, for the Ezrians, this is, this is feels. Well, it's, it's a perfect like <laughs> romance moment, but then there's also just the expression on his face of like, Oh fuck. Like, like, yeah, he's just, he's literally just crapped his pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's then uh, struggling and she's like, this is, this is, this is, this is the moment, right? Yeah. This is, yeah. they're in such different worlds at this, at this same time. <laughs> I feel like Mrs. Yeah. Welch is probably just shocked, shocked at what's going on with Ezra and a student. Mrs. Mrs. Welch has no idea. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's the Here faded Spencer Mona scene as Spencer's coming back. This is supposed to be kind of East Rosewood, mm-hmm. you know? The 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 grottier side of this little suburb, which is why it <laughs> getting off the train. Where the biker gangs are, yeah, yeah where the biker gangs are, um, and this uh, that 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 um, sort of L platform set. Uh, a lot of people recognize from ER mm. because that was an exterior that they used a lot, a lot, a lot. So this scene here, this is where my breakup really kind of kind of came out in in. Um, Mona's uh, monologue and Janelle, um, bless her heart. Uh, I was talking a little bit earlier about being able to write Mona from a new perspective and the onus of trying to, at the time, make Mona a, a more sympathetic character um, and bring her closer to the girls. And the combination of that onus and then the kind of the, the emotion that I was feeling that I was able to put into this girl's monologue, she nailed it. First take. This is one of those just beautiful first take moments where she got it. It spoke to her, and everything on the page she was able to just pick up and run with it. I remember thinking, watching the scene, definitely it was like you know setting off all of my could this be a radar. But more than that, I was like, I really want her to be a because I like this dynamic here. Like it's it's so much better she's a than you know another character who we don't have quite the same relationship with. Oh, absolutely. And if she's A and able to play on Spencer yeah. so well that she kind of draws, like there's a moment where it seems like they connect. Yeah, you you're know? like smart, smart. <laughs> I also thought you were just book smart. <laughs> well, and you, you touched on a line that I think is so, it's like so simple, but so true, especially from a teenage broken heart lens of, I think he broke me. <laughs> I mean, that, it's that, so that straight to the point. Yeah, that was 100% me speaking <laughs> about my own breakup at the time. But it applied. It applied in in much the same way because um, that's definitely how heartbreak and I, how broken I was as well. <laughs> and you got the reference to the cashmere sweater set. Yeah. Well, and then the beauty of the show is Spencer doesn't like Mona. It's just not who she is yet, what she's really up to. But like she still affirms her. Like, mm-hmm. Why are you letting this guy define who you are? Well, I think after Spencer's experience with Sam from the blind school, she might be kind of in a little bit more of an open place where she's reevaluating, you know? Yeah. And so that was like an interesting conversation yeah. for her with Mona to be like, huh, maybe yeah, Mona's absolutely. not who I thought. 
Oh, poor Mrs. Welch. <laughs> just witnessing all this. And just not a clue. Just she has no idea what's going on. Because <laughs> these two look like a normal, awkward teenage couple, maybe. Like, yeah. don't know how to do PDA or if they want to. Yeah. It's They're giving off weird first date vibes. Yeah. <laughs> With a teacher chaperoning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Miss Welch is probably loving that she's, you know. <laughs> Cock blocking, for lack of a more yeah. genteel term. <laughs> well, everyone knows Arthur Miller's very sexy. You can't let teenagers go unsupervised there. Sexy, <laughs> sexy teenagers. Oh, mom, Laura Layton going up for a bath. <laughs> oh yeah, and I think don't we get like a a brief interior shot of the bathroom? Uh, not in this one. Although in an earlier episode, we do do that fun gag with Caleb and Hannah in the shower. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's like the, early in their relationship. And the pumps will be... No, the pumps are in the, under the kitchen sink. Never mind. These stairs, do they go anywhere? Uh, no, no. Okay. Just up to a small return at the top for the actor to wait in the wings. Like like TV metaphor. Like the, yeah. Was it the, the Family Matters living room? It just leads to, <laughs> to nothing. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever that little sister went. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and at this point, um, we also, we had, we had built enough of a, a living room that we could sort of place a camera in the living room and shoot into the foyer uh, and give this space a little bit of depth because we found in earlier seasons, we spent so much time in Hannah's foyer and it just felt cramped that all she had was a foyer and front steps and a kitchen island to live mm-hmm. at. So and, and her exterior of her house is—it's huge, and yes. somehow it's only three bedroom, three rooms. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it was—and and unfortunately, we could never shoot the exterior of that house. It was actually office space on the lot. Oh, nice. And uh, so um, to shoot, we could never shoot her coming out of that front door because she would be literally coming out of someone's reception area, <laughs> and we'd be interrupting business. And here we have our creature from the from the Black Lagoon kind of moment with the bloody footprints, the muddy footprints throughout the Yeah, come the on, Lucas. You know, wipe your feet. <laughs> oh, bad. Horrible house guest. Yeah. Terrible. I, mean, I just love the idea that like water and this is like some kind of elemental force that's like like Hannah didn't pay its price. So now <laughs> it's coming after her. <laughs> and I, I definitely wanted to um that feeling when you asked earlier, what did I come into the room with? And I did come into the room with that feeling of Hannah kind of madly treading water with, with Lucas out there as an unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, the energy of that was something that I felt very early on in, in trying to imbue Hannah's storyline with that kind of panicked uh, feeling if you will, to kind of even, we, we weren't going to see the lake in this episode, but I wanted, I wanted to feel her legs, you know, madly paddling right. kind of emotionally uh, throughout the episode. And that was something that, that drove me through the telling of, of her story. I feel like I'm, it's like, I'm being refreshed by so many things rewatching this, like podcast wise, watching it originally, I don't think I always got Maya. I've mm. met so many Mayas since then. <laughs> I totally get. I mean, because she's very blunt, and I think it's a very much like accept me. Here's it. Here's the. Here's the thing. I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. Now you have to accept me. I'm not hiding it. Yeah, and this was, even though this wasn't a forever couple, I do think that this couple had a huge impact on uh, the shippers from 
from the very beginning. I think a lot of people really invested in just seeing these two, you know, women of color falling in love. And mm-hmm. for them, that was really revelatory and revolutionary uh, to see themselves reflected on the screen in that way. I know that the outcry when we when we killed Maya came from, you know, a real visceral pain at losing that touchstone for themselves. Right. Well, and what other fairly mainstream TV was doing this relationship as a real lasting couple at the time? Yeah, there wasn't a lot out there to kind of latch onto for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, and I, I had, I personally had trouble with uh, Emily and Allison. Uh, I understood it psychologically, but I had trouble with it and I had trouble with Paige, but Emily and Maya, for me, um, there was a purity there that I missed in later seasons and with other relationships for Emily. Mm-hmm. And now we find out in this scene that Holden is a pretty little liar himself. <laughs> Holden's not a secret. And he's asking Aria to keep it. <laughs> I mean, even at this point in the writer's room, are you guys thinking Teenage Fight Club? <laughs> <laughs> um, a version of it, yes. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember... I think it might have been Lija's first episode. Oh. No. Who, oh gosh, who wrote that episode? The one with the Fight Club? Fight Club, yeah. I can look it up here. I'm trying to remember who's, because it, it was, it was, we knew we wanted his secret to be sexy. Lucas. Uh, Lucas steps out of the darkness. Everyone conveniently has a black hoodie when they need to be suspicious. Yeah. Well, you know, I think for Lucas, we used a navy blue hoodie oh, that, that okay. got okay. wet down from the rain to give it a black effect. <laughs> we played with navy blue. We played with charcoal, you know. So here, does Caleb have keys? Is the door no, just open? But we've established before that there's a broken lock and the wind has broken gotcha. that door open. So that, um, you know, Caleb is kind of noting the door's open. The hot chocolate is sitting there still steaming. Mm-hmm. Something seems awry. And then, you know, Hannah's calling me from upstairs. What's that all about? It's coming from inside the house. (laughs) It's funny. I remember feeling like this was a very suspenseful sequence that I had accomplished at the time I wrote it. Coming back years later and sort of watching it play out on screen, I'm like, that is about two and a half seconds of danger. And then we're into the confessional. (laughs) And the confessional is the part that really absolutely changed uh, yeah. multiple times. We started out, gosh, to go all the way back, we started out season two talking about ways to bring in other queer characters outside right. of Emily and Maya to expand Emily's queer world as as she was kind of getting more comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And... We 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 jokingly pitched uh, Emily's cousin Quinn coming mm-hmm. into town and um, being her gay cousin and kind of being a character who might come in and wreak a little havoc and be a little liar of uh, on his own and that wasn't sitting too well because it felt a little too outside of what the center of the world was and then for a moment we latched on the discussion of could we make Lucas gay and could we build to this moment. Uh, in terms of building drama, um, that he was trying to come out to Hannah in that rowboat. He was Mm. trying to reveal a secret, and Hannah, in her paranoid state, ended up turning on one of her 
best friends. And in a moment that he needed her, she hits him with an oar and knocks him into the water. And yeah. how did they recover from that? But um, that was not the bill of goods we'd sold the actor. And that's not the bill of goods with which we had built this character. And so the room was torn and divided over that. And ultimately, we settled on um, a secondary, more true to the book's interpretation, which was that he was trying to confess that he loved Hannah and um, that she knocked him into the water, but that he would ultimately, in this scene, come clean. Um, and admit to, you know, that he had been jealous of Caleb and he would sort of explain a lot of his, you know, again, suspicious behaviors. Um, and we went with that as we got into outline and script and then that didn't fly with our studio and network. And so we came around to, and I remember we were very, all very unsatisfied with the, the gambling basketball story. <laughs> <laughs> Even though as a room, I think we had been divided on how to, treat Lucas with integrity, give him an interesting secret, have this reveal be meaningful, and also send the characters and, and their relationship, this little triad, in new directions, you know, introducing either a, a reveal of sexuality or a reveal of a crush that would affect their dynamic. And I remember we all were sort of like, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> but it got us through, and so that is where the story landed. I do think Arch it Madness was sort with of... All the A's capital. Yeah, I think it was all sort of not said, but understood that Lucas was definitely kind of into Hannah, even though he never came out and said it. The homecoming. Yeah. The dance, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think we we, we ultimately played that storyline out a little bit, um, on a little bit more of a slow burn, and then developed them all in the later years, when we did five years forward in a way that um, that paid off in, in nice and interesting and fulfilling ways that felt real. And it kept uh, Lucas a little bit more connected to his original character in the books. Lucas actually becomes Hannah's boyfriend for a huge chunk of the books. Hmm. Um, you know, And so there was that element that I think this ended up being something that preserved a, a kernel from the books and translated it into this world much more nicely than I think the other options we explored. Okay. I mean, because Lucas does kind of have that like Seth Cohen from the OC vibe. Yes. Yes. For, for a good chunk of his time. Yeah. Oh, and then here's where you ruin Chinese food forever. <laughs> forever and ever. <laughs> and this, uh, this was an Oliver Gold stick pitch. Much okay. like, much like Joe came in with the flourish of, um, the rowboat, Oliver came in one morning and was like, they're eating Chinese food in this last scene and there's worms. And we all screamed and we're like, that's perfect. And um, I remember and it didn't make its way into the final edit of this episode. These are massive night crawlers. Disgusting. Um, it didn't make its way into the final cut of the episode, but Chris Grismer used uh, a tool that is called a split diopter. Oh, okay, uh, yeah that allows for the foreground um, or the bottom half of your screen uh, to be extremely close up and for the top half of the screen to be at a different focus. So the, the final shot was going to be in the foreground, the night crawlers squirming all over each other and all four girls in the background kind of looking down on it. And it, it, was, it was a great cinematic swing it didn't look great, and so we didn't use it in the final cut. 
you always have that blurry middle mm-hmm. yeah diopter shot yeah 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 but it was it was a it was a fun moment to shoot and i'm glad that he took the swing to kind of find a really interesting way to play with that visual you mm-hmm. know um because he is he's a great director he's a great um he he has a great and unique vision and i and i had i learned a lot watching him and i had a great time on set with him um you know for this week for sure even though we sort of lost him mostly to the vampire diaries world after this <laughs> just couldn't get him back <laughs> so i looked it up it was uh joseph Dirty and elijah baraz did the episode uh, control a where we see that uh holden's going to a fight club ah uh, yes okay so this was because at this point um both janelle and elijah were not on staff yet they were support staff elijah was i believe our writer's assistant and janelle was our script coordinator and um this was in the process of giving them scripts early on, give them a test run, um, allow them to make their way into the guild with enough scripts. And eventually both of them made their way onto staff, as you guys know, because um, they wrote episodes, you know, for several seasons after this and were, mm-hmm. were in the room with us full time as fully staffed writers. But and again, Elijah Brown wrote the episode in which I realized that I love PLO, <laughs> the con game. Yeah. Okay. Ah, that was, that was, that was, um, I, I feel like that was her first solo venture on the show. And I remember the breaking of that story really well. And I remember, um, Lija's enthusiasm, uh, for the, for the, the set piece of that story, mm-hmm. um, at the, 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 the game that they played at Nolcon's party. Yeah. Um, I, I remember distinctly, um, that as a young writer in the room, Lija brought in a, a strong um organizing element you know around which we could kind of build the rest of the episode and and it was it was a it was a great first uh it was a great first at bat for her as a solo writer it's when i stopped stopping my guilty pleasure show and i was like have you people heard of the show or is everyone watching this <laughs> so i wanted to ask the um the sweater sets did you know at the time that that would be the 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 last uh reveal there about who a was no um that was something that kind of it was there and then it made its way back and i don't remember how it bubbled back up um but it it did sort of it became a thing from the past that we would that we could kind of pick up on and, and pull back in and and utilize again Hmm. interesting i I just remember in the finale it's it's so memorable like your brain is like oh yes sweater sets like for some it's a very memorable thing without uh i don't know being too weird at the same time you know yeah not so glaring of a callback and yet it's it was they it was there enough that like oh god and i'm sure a lot of people felt really satisfied Uh in remembering and being able to piece those things together you know I just randomly did the math. I don't know why. Bianca Lawson is 32 while filming this. <laughs> yeah, Shane Mitchell's 22. Right. That's about right. I mean, I mean, Bianca's eternal. She is. Yeah. And I, I do adore her as an actress too. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, Marco, what was the uh, thing you wanted to ask at the end of the episode? Oh, oh yeah. the ADR. Is mm-hmm. there primarily like one guy and one woman who does all of the? loudspeaker at this place voices or anytime you just need like an announcement it's always seems like it's the like one guy for most episodes and one woman 
Um, that's a great question. I know it's a really nerdy question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. Um, so for stuff like that, it typically goes to our loop group. Okay. Um, and so that's sort of a, a, a group of regular individuals who will come in and, um, and record the final versions of stuff like that uh, in the in the post production process. Often we will put in temp ADR, which is just the writer in the room or the editor, or if the voice needs to be specific, you know. Sometimes we'll grab someone from down the hall and and because we know they can do a certain accent or just mm-hmm. to sort of tell the story while we're getting notes from Studio Network. But yeah, the loop group tends to be the same people who do maybe sometimes over the course of a season or multiple seasons on a show. And okay. uh, yeah, they'll provide a lot of that stuff. That makes sense. They probably don't want to go like do casting for one line in a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. This was fantastic. And sorry for the, having the visit <laughs> traumatic experiences. Grab a professional success, at least yes. even if you were doing <laughs> well, some you things know, personally. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting to revisit that period of time after so much, so much time away from it and um, to kind of see the ways in which, you know, my personal life for better or for worse uh, made its way onto the screen in this particular episode. I think that's something that I can say about every episode that I've written, but it was Mm -hmm. nice to be able to, um, you know, with a little time and distance, look back on it and also see that uh, I think the episode is better for the traumatic experience, you know, I think I, I love that scene. And I think it's a great scene for Janelle and, and a great scene for Mona as a character. And um, Hey, if I had to bleed a little, <laughs> so be it. That's art though. Transforming your Absolutely. experiences into something that someone else will pick up. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, we really want to thank you for joining us. That was a lot of fun. I feel like I learned a lot that I didn't yeah. know about the show and just uh, some of the writing techniques there. So that was really fascinating. Well, Glad I could provide. I was concerned I might not be able to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, fellas. Good night. Bye-bye, Bye-bye everybody.